0: Today's text is from Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. Please follow along as I read the passage aloud for us. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him. Flock him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten disciples heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. This is God's word.
1: Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Oh. <laughs> thank you. That was Kenna. Thanks, man. I was so excited to be with you guys this morning. Thanks for braving. outside when it's beta breakers. I I know the journey, but you made it. You're here and we're excited to be with you this morning. Um, We are back in Mark. Very exciting. Um, We've actually been in Mark since August of 2021. (laughs) Yes, our longest series ever probably. And the good news is we are going to be here for a long time now. We're going to kind of hang out in the book of Mark for a while. So get cozy. For those of you who like this long-form storytelling, you're in it. It's going to be a lovely few, more than a few weeks of um, digging back in this book. But before we're too quick to, like, move on to the next thing, I would just want to call out something that I think might be in the room. Um, if you've been with us for the last five weeks or so, we've been in this series Goodness, truth, and beauty—talking about the transcendentals and the way that those things are woven into and partnered with our vocation, with uh, how God like calls us into these things and how He is these things and how these things are brought to life—and I just want to acknowledge that for some of us, that that series—it's um, like kind of. Do you guys remember Marie Kondo? Her whole thing with like tidying up. Like on Netflix, she had the show where she'd like come into these people's homes that were chaos and then she'd like have her magic touch and teach them all these tools and then organized home. And like one of the first things she always did when she was starting in someone's home is like start with the clothes and you have to take out everything you own. Every closet, every drawer empty, it all goes into one giant pile on the floor or on the bed so that you can look at everything you have and make decisions about all of it, one piece at a time, one thing at a time. And I think that for some of us, this last series has felt a little bit like that. We have, like, gone into all these areas of our lives and pulled out all of these things. Am I doing the right things with my life? Is there goodness and truth and beauty in them? What about this? What about my job and my family? And we've, like, thrown it all in a giant pile on the floor. And now we're like, cool, hope you guys have fun with that. We're moving on. Like, great job. Nice pile on the floor. And some of us might feel like, what? I'm not done. There is this, you, like, asked me to, like, look at my whole entire life and make decisions about things, and I still have this giant pile on the floor, and you want to just go back to Mark? Like, what about that? And if that's you, you're not alone. That is okay. I think that is actually right. There is no way that you were supposed to have your life figured out in five weeks on the transcendentals. That is an unreal expectation. The reality is that us, like, sitting in, discerning, navigating vocation is a lifetime process. And the purpose of the last five weeks was to kind of like give us glasses to see through the lens of vocation. See through the lenses of truth and goodness and beauty and then take them with us as we move into and on what God is doing in our lives. So as we head into Mark, I want us to take those vocation glasses with us. And like don't panic about that pile. The pile, God is at work in the pile. He did not expect or does not ask you to have it sorted out or figured out, your pile's in good hands. We are going to not move on, but we're gonna keep going, and we're gonna take it with us. So if you're feeling a little bit like, how can we move on so fast? Just exhale. Don't worry. We'll get there, okay? We're all in this together. And if you are someone who did figure out your life in the last five weeks, mazel tov, please tell us how you sorted it out, because the rest of us are over here still panicking, probably. So I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna jump back into Mark, Okay? God, thank you that you do not ask us to have this figured out. That you do not expect us to sit through five weeks of sermons and then to like just like click, like be sorted. But that your kindness and your mercy walks with us in process. That you you come alongside us and you walk with us. And God, as we dive back into the book of Mark, I pray that you, would, um, that you would shift our perspective, that you would give us these glasses, that we'd be able to see this story, not just for what the, like, what's happening in it, but for like, the other things you might be teaching us through it, and for the ways that you are inviting us into new things, good things, true and beautiful things, because that is who you are, and that is always what you are about. So Lord, would you, um, yeah, would you give us soft hearts this morning? Make us sensitive to your voice and uh, make us quick to respond to your leading. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's unpack this text that Carl so beautifully read for us. I don't know if you noticed, but right away when uh, when Carl started reading, one of the first things in the first verses we saw was, again, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. That, again, is a clue to us that this has happened before. In fact, when you were reading that passage, maybe some, like, Bells are off in your head. like It's like a little bit of deja vu. I feel like we've heard kind of something like this before. We have. This is the third time we've heard something like this. Because this is actually a pattern that has happened three times in the last three chapters with Jesus and his disciples. And it's always the same. Phase one, Jesus tells his disciples what's going to happen. In chapter eight, Jesus says he's going to be killed, that he will suffer, and that uh, he will rise after three days. Phase two. The disciples react, usually poorly. This is when Peter is like, no, 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 Lord, that won't happen. And then phase three, Jesus responds to their reaction with a lesson on self-denial. So this is famously where Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And then he says, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Right? That's chapter eight. Chapter nine, phase one, Jesus tells them he will be delivered to the chief priests. He'll be killed, and he'll rise after three days. Phase two, the disciples are confused, and they're afraid, and on the way out, they're like, arguing among themselves at which of them is better and then phase three Jesus responds with um, in my kingdom the first shall be last and the last shall be first okay so then we get to today's uh, text phase one again Jesus tells them what's going to happen he says I will be taken I'll be condemned I'm going to be mocked and spit on and flogged and I will be killed and then I will rise phase two The disciples react badly. James and John come up with this, like, request. And before we, like, get too much into the request, I just, it's, I'm one of these people that, like, I need to see the whole scene. So I just want to remind us of, like, what we've stepped into because it's been a minute since we've been in Mark. We have to remember that the Jewish people, the people of Israel, the disciples, they are, like, living in this thick like it's in the air anticipation longing waiting for messiah not like the like this hope is so like alive and panging in them it's not the way that we're like oh man i hope that one day all this chaos just sorts itself out it's like they wake up every morning and they're like oh god please let today be the day where we will like see righteousness and justice from our oppression like it lives at the like tips of their fingers every morning and jesus shows up into that longing and says i'm here I'm the one you've been waiting for. All this anticipation and expectation for salvation has arrived, it's me, here we go. And so for the disciples, like, this moment of following Jesus up to Jerusalem, this is like Messiah on his way to his throne. This is what they've been waiting for. They've spent three years traveling, Jesus doing his ministry, miracles, teaching, calling out religious leaders, like pointing the, like the arrows to like, it's happening, it's happening. And now they're making their way to like the pivotal moment. So for the disciples, in this moment for James and John, like you can almost see their wheels turning. They, they're like literally on the road to Jerusalem. Jesus like, okay guys, here we go. We're going to Jerusalem. And then you can see like James and John almost like totally zone out. And they're like, Jerusalem, like throne, it's happening, salvation. We've waited so long. And they tune back in just to hear Jesus be like, and I will rise. And they're like, okay, this is our moment. Like we've been excited and waiting. And now Jesus, just while you're talking about Jerusalem and like rising, could you save us seats? Just like you're going to be there. You've kind of got the access. Just save us good seats. Like, it's not, like, when we look at it through that, I can kind of understand a little bit more what's happening here, right? And Jesus, again, phase three, responds to their reaction with his teaching on self-denial. And actually, this time, he kind of expands that teaching. His response to them immediately, he has this comment. He says, you don't know what you're asking, which I kind of hear in, like, that fatherly voice when you, like, ask your dad for some money. And he's like, what do you think, money grows on trees? Like, you don't know what you're asking. You don't get it. And then he asks this question, are you going to drink from the cup I drink from or be baptized with the baptism I was baptized with? And what Jesus is saying is like, are you going to drink from my cup? Like cup was meant to like be this picture of his suffering. This is him in the garden saying, God, would you take this cup from me? Are you gonna like take on the suffering I'm taking on? And Jesus' baptism was like his his like picture of lowering himself, submitting himself to the brokenness of humanity, making like identifying himself with us so that he could deliver us. And so Jesus is saying his, to his disciples, like, I don't think you get what those seats cost. Like, are you going to step into the suffering I, I'm stepping into? Are you going to, like, identify yourself, lower yourself, submit yourself to the reality of the brokenness that comes with those seats? And James and John, classic, are like, no problem. Yes, we will. And then Jesus and his, like, again, like, I just hear this fatherly voice is like, good, because you will. Like, you are going to experience that suffering. That is coming for you. Unfortunately, those seats are not mine to give. They've been prepared for who they've been prepared for. And then Jesus continues, and like, it's here. It's, he kind of like huddles everybody in. He's like, come here, we need to have a little talk. Everybody come in. He brings them together and he says, you know that those who are regarded as the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Which, what he's saying here is like, you know those people that you think so little of and that you just think are the worst and like you think you have this like inferiority complex with them? Like, you know those people? This is how they behave. They treat people badly with their power and authority. Not so with you. That is not how you are to behave. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be the slave of all, for even the son of man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And it's like over and over through all three of these examples, what we see is that the disciples just keep looking to Jesus to like use his rightful authority. Like this is authority and power that Jesus Full on has the right to use. And they're like, like not asking him to do it for like bad things, just like preferential things. And over and over again, Jesus refuses to operate with power he has every right to. This is just the continual lesson where Jesus is saying, you keep asking me to do this, but that's not what I'm here to do. He continues to put down, like to withhold his right to his power. Other kings absolutely use their power to benefit themselves and those closest to them. That's like what builds kingdoms. But Jesus is not that kind of king, and that is not the kind of kingdom he's building. And he like builds on this because he's like, you know, the kingdom that I'm here to build, it doesn't just appear out of like clear blue sky. This kingdom costs something, like a lot of something. And I, Jesus, I am gonna pay it. Like I am going to pay the cost of what this kingdom will cost, but it's going to cost my life. And if you want to follow me, it's going to cost you yours too. That's a big ask. That's a big shift for these disciples. And clearly, because Jesus has to have it, that conversation with them three times, it like doesn't seem to click all the time right away. But this is where I think it's really interesting to like put on our vocation glasses and consider what's happening here. Because I don't know if you've ever thought about this, up until this uh, prepping for this, I hadn't, that Jesus had a vocation. Thought know about that? That, like, Jesus had a job to do. He had a, a, like, determined purpose. When we were in our vocation series, we defined vocation broadly as our God-given purpose and the reason behind our existence, which is to be God's beloved, right? We believe that if you are a person on this planet, God has given a purpose to you. You have a reason for being on this planet, and foundational, central to it, core to it is being loved by God, And that's not just your job, but it includes your job. It's your whole reason for existing. Jesus had a vocation, and it started with being loved by God. Think about um, the beginning of his ministry that his ministry started with his baptism. And when he's baptized, this is uh, from Mark 1. At the time, Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee. He was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Before Jesus had a job to do, he was loved by God. Before he extended God's love, he was a receiver of God's love. You are on the planet first to be a receiver, and then an extender of God's love. Just like Jesus. He is our example of vocation, and this is how he started his. Loved by God. That was step one. And that didn't make Jesus' vocation any easier for him. Like, he may have had some clarity about what he was supposed to do, but it was still rough. Jesus' call on his life was painful, exhausting, isolating, lonely, he had the worst coworkers, That was polite, thank you. (laughs) Um, And to make everything worse, in my opinion, like the most annoying thing about all of this is Jesus had the ability at any second to be like, this sucks, I'm done, see you all in glory. Like he could have skipped all of that pain and suffering because he had the power to and even the authority to, but he was submitted to the will of the Father and he knew that this was what God's will was and that if he didn't live into our brokenness and our suffering, there was no way he could deliver us from it. And so from a place of being loved by God and loving those God loved, he stayed faithful to what was the call on his life was. And it cost him everything. And I I know that it's tempting for us when we like start to talk about Jesus and we like try to start to veer towards like, are you comparing like me and my vocation to Jesus and his? Because like it feels like that's an unfair comparison. And it is an unfair comparison. You can't live the life Jesus lived. That was the point. He did it so you don't have to. We are released from it. But we follow in his footsteps. We follow his example. He is the model to us of how this works. And so we look at what he did and we aim to be followers in his likeness. That's the whole point. That's why you're here. And so we have to remember that Jesus wasn't like it, he knew what what he had to do, but the what was secondary to the who called him to it it was secondary to the like who whose love empowered and equipped him to operate in that task because without that, the rest of it would have been impossible and way too difficult and we talked about this when we talked about vocation too we talked about how vocation isn't really all that much about like what you do that's part of it but it's not like what is not the whole story. Vocation is way more about how you do what you do and why you do what you do. And then when you do what you do, what it creates and generates and extends into the world. And that our, what we talked about was goodness, beauty, and truth, right? That the hope is that those things are woven into the way that we are entering into our world, that we are bringing these things with us. And I think it's really... Um, it's dangerous here because well first before we talk about the danger let me just back up. I want to like try to make sure we see this like little cycle that's happening here. We'll start with Jesus. He is our example. Jesus is loved by God. God, Jesus loved by him, relationship, connection. And from that love Jesus is able to extend that love to other people, goodness and beauty and truth. People see the goodness and the beauty and truth. And like we talked about, these transcendentals point us to God. And so from these goodness and good and beautiful and true things, people see God and they know God and they build closeness and relationship with him. And from this place of connection and intimacy with God, they produce goodness, beauty, and truth, which extends. Do you see this, what this does? I think that for some of us, we heard these last few weeks on goodness, beauty, and truth, and we've fallen into the trap of trying to reverse engineer our vocation. They were like, okay, what are the good, beautiful, and true things in my life? Okay, here they are. Now, where do I find them? Great vocation. But you can't skip the giver of vocation. You can't build your vocation. Your vocation is not yours to build. It is given to you. We cannot build vocation around that which is good, beautiful, and true as these aesthetic, abstract ideas because our vocation is given. It is something we receive from God through Jesus who is the embodiment of goodness and beauty and truth. I think some of us have maybe felt this tension over the last five weeks or maybe this is your first time here but you feel the tension anyway because you're a human and we all wrestle with this that like there's some secret purpose for me out there. It's like hovering in the sky and it's like an escape room. If I just like order all the right things it'll just pop open a magic third door and my vocation will roll out. There's no secret door. There's no secret message. God is not withholding some secret thing in the sky from you that if you just do all the right things he'll be like, psst, here it is. God gives it to you because he loves you. He has a call on your life because he's committed to your life because he loves you. And he invites you to partner with him in his goodness and beauty and truth for the sake of the world because he loves you. And he loves the world. And it is his deepest desire to partner with you in his vocation, which is to save the world. And I think some of us need to just be reminded that we can't separate the giver of vocation from the process of vocation. Jesus has to be central to it. Being with him is like the secret sauce of this whole thing. And I think we see that in our text, And I, which again, I just think it's cool that like we get this little moment to kind of like stay in vocation a little longer even though we're moving on. So let's look back at our text. This is the first verse we read. They're on their way up to Jerusalem. Jesus is leading the way. The disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Let me just, like, point this out right here in the text. Here's Jesus leading the way. Here's his, like, tight circle of buddies. They're right here. They are astonished. They're, like, walking in awe. I'm like, wow, wonder. And then here's everybody else. They are afraid. So this tells me that proximity to Jesus makes you less afraid. There's, like, I'm not, like, overanalyzing. I'm just telling you what I think this, like, this text says. It's right there, Right? The close, and this is like not just here. This is also in John 15, 15, Jesus says this I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. If you are close with Jesus, he lets you in on stuff. We are not his slaves. We are his co like his partners, his friends. We are called to co create with him, and he does not keep us in the dark on that. He loves you. And so if we want to, like, gain clarity or we want, like, or feel like we need vision for what God is up to, we have to be close to Jesus. We have to be in intimate relationship with him. It's not the only place that we see this, though. And this one's a little bit less on the nose, but still there. Before we get into that, I'm going to tell a quick story. Um, And we're going to, like, talk about the James and John conversation. But this was almost, like, a year ago now. Um, We have a youth room. It's right back there. It's like behind the baptismal over there. And every Sunday, um, during our 9 a.m. service, the middle schoolers head up there, we have our youth time, and then we come back down. We were coming down from youth, and it was like, again, I like the full, I want you guys to get the full picture, so I'm just like adding color here. So like, it was a little bit like low-grade chaos of just like village kids running around, like finding their parents. well, it was very orderly. It wasn't chaotic. Children were safely getting into the hands of their parents. The village is a great place. I don't want to throw anything on them. Um, They do a great job. (laughs) sorry Um, but there's like there's like a little like a buzz in the air you know and we're walking down the stairs there's like a hundred flights of stairs for us to get down so we're like walking down the stairs and out of nowhere two of our middle school girls like appeared on both sides of me and also before I go on I have to say like I love our students it is one of like the deepest joys of my life to get to hang out with them I sincerely deeply love it and if you love hanging out with students and you love Jesus and you think that like God might be putting on your heart to serve our students, I would love to talk to you. So I'll just, yeah, yeah. All our youth leaders are like, yeah. Um, my email is melissa at I won't be offended if you take your phone out right now and shoot me an email. Um, we're bringing on youth leaders. That's a side tangent. Anyway, it is the deepest joy of my life to serve our students. Back to my story, walking down the stairs. Two of our students appear on both sides of me and Okay, other thing I have to say. When this happened, I in no way connected it to this story. Also, I am in no way comparing myself to Jesus. I know full well that I am not Jesus. We have very little shared experiences. This is one of them. But (laughs) walking down the stairs, they appear, and they said, Melissa, we want you to do us a favor, which you never say yes to blindly. So I, in my years of youth wisdom, said, depends what it is. And they said, the next time you preach... We want you to put us in your sermon. (laughs) Check. Done. (laughs) And I I think in the moment, I was just like, (laughs) like, are you, really? I laughed, and I believe what I said, this is a long time ago, but I believe what I said to them was only time will tell, and now it has, and I feel very excited to be able to make good on that low-grade commitment, but (laughs) I share that story to say that when I read this text, I thought like, oh, I've had this moment, and I think, what our normal reaction is to this text is to kind of have that, like, kind of, like, standard disciple judgment where we're, like, these guys are such doofs. Like, why don't they just get it already? He said it three times. Like, get your act together, guys. But I did not feel any of that for them. What I felt for them, what I felt for these students when they asked me, which was, like, my love for them blossomed it just like exploded. I felt so endeared to them. I felt like, wow, how safe they must feel that they'll just ask boldly for this thing they just honestly want. Like they don't, they don't need to justify it or explain it, they're just asking because they feel like they can and I just, my heart for them grew. And I've, I just read this and was like, this is Jesus. Because do you notice what he says when they say we want you to do something for us? He doesn't say depends what it is. He doesn't say how dare you keep asking me for things. He doesn't say, like, why don't you just stink and die to yourself already? Like, he says to them, what do you want me to do for you? I'm like, just what an extension of, like, care and compassion that is that the disciples come to him with a request he knows is a bad one. And he's like, tell me what I can do for you. Because he loves them. Because he cares about them. And then when they ask this, when they make this ask, he uses it as an opportunity to, like, walk with them in molding and or, like, reorienting their hearts and their desires. He doesn't shame them. He doesn't call them out. He doesn't like, make them feel small. He, he says, like, oh, like, I don't know if you get what we're doing here, so let me, let me show you, let me teach you. Walking with Jesus in intimacy with Jesus gives us the freedom to figure it out even if we totally botch it. Even when we totally mess it up, even when we ask for the wrong things, even when we don't know what we're asking for, walking with him gives us freedom to ask, to dream, to wonder, to imagine, to explore, maybe even like experiment because he is with us and he's committed to us and his heart is to partner with us in what he is about. It is meant to be an invitation of freedom to do this with him. And as we, like, walk with him, the way the disciples walked with him, and he, like, uses these moments to help, like, better orient our hearts and realign our hearts, we have to see what he's about. Like, that's, part, that's the point, like, molding us to be in his likeness. And do you know what he's about? Do you know what he has had to take these last three chapters to, like, really drill in to his disciples? If you want to do what I do, you have to die to yourself you have to serve. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. He was crystal clear on that call of his. That is what he is about. And as his followers, it's what we have to be about. And I know that for some of us, when we talk about serving in the church, that sometimes has like a little bit of like a, maybe it's like a little triggering for you. Because like, yeah, we know the church has not always done a good job with this. A lot of Churches, Christian organizations, have gotten in a lot of trouble because under the banner of service, they have manipulated and used people. But this like this, is not the church saying this. This is Jesus saying, if you want to follow me, you need to lay down your life. In my kingdom, if you want to be first, you have to be last because I came to be the servant of all. And if you want to follow me, that's what you have to do too. I I don't know what each of your vocations is, but I do know that somehow tethered to it is living your life for the sake of other people because that was Jesus' vocation and you are his follower and so it's yours too. And I know for some of us, that is like a really scary thing because we hear like service, we hear that laying down my life and you're like, oh man, do I have to like sell everything I own and move to a country I've never heard of and like be a missionary and then we just start to like spiral out of control. I'm not telling you that. If God is telling you that, you should listen. Listen. But I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you that part of the work of discerning our vocation means acknowledging that there may be things that God's calling us to that are not for our own good, our own sake. They are for your good, he promises you that, but they're not for your own preference. They're not for your own comfort. They're not for your own setup or your own establishment. They are for his. Cool, thanks. And this, we, we know that this is, like, the tension that's, like, right here in this text because this is what Jesus keeps having to reorient his disciples to. This is what the disciples want. This is where they, like, have their eyes set on. This is the thing that they desire. And Jesus is like, that's not what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. This is the thing I'm looking out, like, looking for. And I, to go back to our closet analogy, I think, like, some of us, we're sitting with this pile of stuff in the middle of the room, and we're like, just so overwhelmed but like my mom was telling me recently that um, when her and my dad first got married, he had this pair of double knit cranberry bell-bottom pants that he would not throw away. And I kind of wish he had kept them because I would love to see those now but I guess eventually she won. But I think that some of us are like sitting at the clothes pile with the double knit cranberry bell-bottom pants in our hands and we're like, I don't want to let it go. And God's like, put the bell-bottoms down. He's like, I have something so much better for you if you will just let that go. But some of us are just like so comfortable or so committed or we've just worked so hard for so long to establish this thing. We are so afraid that if we let it go, we will lose everything. Our identity, our finances, our comf- all these things. They, like I know this is hard stuff. I'm not at all pretending this is easy. It's hard. But God's promise to you is that he has better. Yes. And so some of us are standing in this tension of I, I don't want to let this go. And Jesus is saying like, Will you pursue my will instead of your own? Some of us um, are maybe, uh, like, we have put the bell bottoms down. Good job. Like, we've put the thing down, but now we're kind of sitting at the pile of clothes, and we're like, I don't know what to pick up. Like, I, you, we've talked about vocation. and How am I supposed to figure out what mine is? There's, like, so many things. How do I sort this out? I just feel so stuck in the not knowing. I, just, I, want, I want to pursue God's will. I just don't know how I'm supposed to know God's will. And I, I specifically here, I want to talk about work. Like your job. Because I've talked to a lot of our congregation and I'm hearing this from a lot of us. That we really do honestly want to like pursue God's will in what we do nine to five, five days a week. But we just don't know how to answer that. And I I, like want to commend you for being willing to like be in that spot. It's a hard spot to be. I think you're in the right place. It's a really good thing to pursue God's will. It is a better thing to pursue God. (laughs) Great. I don't want to lose my momentum. I'm like, I'm in it. Okay. It is a better thing to pursue God. Some of us are just so exhausted by this process of trying on everything in the pile and not knowing what we're supposed to do. And God just wants to sit down next to us in the pile and say, just hang out with me. I will, we'll get there. I'm a master closet organizer. I will help you sort this out. It will take time. We have time. We're going to do it together. Some of us just, like, you just need to be reminded that, like, God is not asking you to, like, solve your vocation. He's giving it to you. You just need to hang out with Him to better, like, to better discern and clarify and understand it. And that should be a really freeing thing. He's not asking you to pick something up, He will put it in your hands when it's time. And for all of us, regardless of where you are on that, or maybe this is, like, your first time at church and you're like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. There's, like, a lot. That's fine. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. you need to hear this, and so does every other person in this room. If all of this does not start from our like, understanding that we are first receivers of God's love, we are wasting our time. You don't get to like, get a, like, build a vocation without being loved by the one who gives vocation. Before God wants you to do something for Him, He wants to love you. He wants you to know that you are committed to and cared for so much that he would send his son to be a ransom for you. Jesus knew this. Jesus lived his life first from being loved by God and that was like the gasoline that propelled what he did. And I know that for a lot of us, like this idea of like being loved by God, it's like almost like cheesy. Like, oh, I've heard about this my whole life. Like this is like Sunday school songs. Like can't we just kind of move on to like the real stuff? oh no, if we, like, it, I know it's not even easy because we have such broken relationships with love. Like, we've just we've experienced the, like, most perverted and, and, like, manipulated versions of it. And so for us to believe that we are unconditionally, regardless of our output, loved by someone is, like, too hard to believe. But you are. And some of us just need to, like, sit and be, like, poured out on by the love of God. Because before he wants to like give you a job to do, he just wants you to know that he loves you. And he's committed to you. And and Philippians 1.6, it says that what he begun in you, he has promised he will continue until the day of completion. Which, that's when you're dead. So you got time. (laughs) What he has started in you, it is his promise he will continue in you because he loves you. And so this morning... If you find yourself in this place of like, you know that there are things you're clinging to that you think God is asking you to let go of, I just want to invite you to like take a baby step. Maybe that's like releasing one finger. Maybe that's throwing it on the ground. Maybe that's coming up to the prayer team and saying like, I need help, I don't know how to let go of this. But take a step towards being with Jesus in that thing. For some of us, if we feel that like stuckness of like, I'd pick up anything if he would just drop the neon sign from the sky that says, pick this thing up. Release yourself from sorting this out. That is God's job. He will do it with you and for you. Hang out with him. Be with him. And, and if this idea of being loved by God feels like something that doesn't resonate for you, sit with that because that has to resonate with you. You are loved by God and if you can't like receive that, then, then you can't move on. You have to know that. You have to experience it and hold it and like, Allow God to extend to you his love for you. That is the the secret sauce. He is, like, the answer is always Jesus. He is the answer. And so as the band starts to come back up, I just, um, I want to pray, and I want to just, I want to invite us as a community to, like, really to step into this honestly. I do not know your heart I do not know, like, the stuff you brought into this room, the anxiety you have, what it's about, the fear you have, the hope you have, God does. And he can hold it so well for you and with you. But we, we have to, like, respond to that. So, Lord, um, I just thank you that, like, when we don't have it figured out, when we don't have the answer, we don't have to because you do. That you do not ask us to have the answer, that you do not expect us to have the answer, that God... The answer is, like, you, you sit with us to just be with you. Like, a good father, like, doesn't expect his kid to, like, have his life plan. At, when he's a kid, he just gets to like, be with the father. God, I pray that you would give us just, like, the ability to let go of all the things that we're clinging to so we can just be with you. And, God, as we are with you, I pray that you would extend to our, to our community discernment and clarity on the vocation you have for them. Because we believe you do have vocation for us. You have a plan for our life and a purpose for our life. In your generosity, Lord, would you speak to us? God, I pray that, um, that we would be a people that are marked by our ability to like lean back on your heart and then like to be like propelled forward because of how deeply loved we are God, make that so real to us. Make that, like, something that we can, like, taste and see this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.